This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 559 of the Dressage Radio Show, Western Edition, on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. On today's show, we're discussing rhythm and tempo. Cindy Butler joins us for the judge's view, and Lynn Palm offers her training tips. This is Stacy Westfall, and this is not Glenn the Geek, but it is Coach Jen, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show Western Edition, and coming up is... Today, we're talking about understanding rhythm and tempo. Cindy Butler joins us, and she is the current WDAA president, and she's a large R judge, and I asked her to define that because I'm still new enough to this world. And then she also describes why the terms rhythm and tempo can be confusing to Western riders. And then Lynn Palm, who is also a large R judge, she offers her advice on improving the rider's correct seat and use of aids so that you correctly influence the rhythm and the tempo. Ooh, some heavy duty stuff. Woohoo! Can't wait to get started. Yep. It was awesome. It was I awesome. Love this. Hey, I got a quick question for you, Stacey. Okay. Has spring sprung yet in your part of the world? Spring is springing so much I'm having to control my urge to post flowers bursting out of the ground photos oh. every day. <laughs> so what part so, of the world are you in for everybody here? I'm in Ohio, and that means that about three weeks ago, little snowdrop flowers popped up out of the ground, and two weeks ago, little tiny purple crocuses popped up, and last week... I planted these miniature daffodils. They're three inches tall when they bloom, oh, and wow. they are all over the place now. I've never so, heard of miniature daffodils. Uh, and neither had I, which explains why they're planted among the six and eight inch tall things. I'm like, what is that over there? Oh, my. Some I really should have arranged those bulbs differently <laughs> when I was planting them. <laughs> now, when you plant your bulbs, do you just scatter them, or do you go along and plant them carefully? Okay. So I... Never had planted a single bulb in my entire life, but I saved 40 plus years worth of wanting to plant bulbs and did it all in one sloth the year before last, which meant that I planted about 350 <gasps> bulbs Whoa, over a in one in one swath, probably about the a little bit bigger, like about the size of where if you parked a dually truck, like underneath about that size, that like a big rectangle, like the size of a truck like that. And it's got 350 bulbs. And my friends who know more about gardening came back and they were like, it's going to be really pretty this year. And in three years, it's going to be a solid mass. <laughs> oh, neat. Cool. So, so is the grass coming up yet? You know, around here, yeah, there's, there is a little bit of greening grass, but not, not enough to really speak of. Just enough to make the horses consider dragging you towards it when you mm -hmm. lead them places because they're like, oh, green. Green. Oh, boy, green. Green. Yay. Now, in in your little world with your group of horses, do you have any that you have to be paranoid and lose sleep over spring grasses? We, on the property that we just built, we're, we've been here, this will be going into our fourth summer here. And when we moved here, I didn't realize that this property was full of poison hemlock. Ah! 
And so I figured that out. I'm not kidding. The week before the fence builders came. And so I immediately went from this big fencing plan to small paddocks. Mm -hmm. And those had always been on the radar, but it just was out of the order that I wanted to do. So we did the small paddocks, which essentially end up being dry lots. And then we had them come in and it's just, it's going to be a, it's apparently it's like a two or three year process minimum. And they just started last year because of the timing of, of basically trying to kill the bad weeds, which of course don't die with anything. Like they're just really, you almost have to crowd them out with good stuff. So you have to like fertilize and seed and then, yeah. And it's a, but it's like a three year cycle of the seeds only sprout. Like good, yeah, good on you for taking the time though. It, that makes me think of something. I asked a, a realtor. We had a realtor as a guest on one of the shows a long time ago. And we were talking about buying horse properties for horse people, how to navigate the real estate scene. And I said, what are, what's one of the things that you wish buyers would pay more attention to when they look at properties? And she, her first immediate answer was pastures. People mm-hmm. don't realize how long it takes to get a pasture established and they look at a piece of property and they go oh well that right there can be our pasture all we have to do is either mow the grass off and reseed or clear the trees or whatever and we'll have and we'll have pasture and you just stated it right there you're doing it right it takes years mm-hmm. to establish really good turf that can hold up to the torture that horses give it <laughs> exactly yeah so that's that's been our long project We hand grazed them in the areas that came the strongest. When we first moved here, there were some areas that we were planted and probably we could probably put up some, some paddocks on those areas. But so long story short, they're managed. I wish we had enough pasture at the moment to be able to have the problem of managing. I suspect we would because we have, I'm actually going to have at least one of my horses test for tested for like metabolic issues this spring. Mm -hmm. Even though she doesn't, she doesn't have any of the classic symptoms, but I was actually testing for uh, vitamin E last year because she hasn't been out on a lot of pasture for a few years. I do have friends. I have friends with pasture and every once in a while the horses will vacation. And and so she hadn't been on one of those vacation trips. So I tested her vitamin E levels. They came back really low, but the vet said, do you want to test selenium? Well, selenium's not a problem here. Is selenium a problem for you down there? Mm, I don't know. I don't I don't think it is necessarily, but but then the vast majority of horses only live here part-time. As yeah. a as a habit, we keep both of our horses on vitamin E because the grass they do get is not Limited. abundant. And Scooter yeah. the pony doesn't get any at all. So he's always so, on vitamin E. I didn't know the answer to like the selenium thing. And I was like, well, out of the four horses I'm testing, just Test this one on both, you know, for fun. Mm -hmm. Well, she comes back all out of whack for like way high in selenium, which is not supposed to be possible here. And obviously something's happening. And so I start looking at my feed and I start looking. Well, long story short, one of the nutritionists comes back and says, this can also be an early indicator of a metabolic problem. And you're like, because apparently when stuff start, when that stuff starts to go out of kilter, like how they absorb and what they do. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, run the test now before, before it gets scary. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, see, now I have something else to worry about. Thanks a lot. I know. Thanks. I know. Sorry. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so.
you've got pasture that's in its infancy stage. So the horses right. get to have the uh, the occasional grass and a little hand grazing here and there. But in the meanwhile, they get to eat lots of good hay. So there mm-hmm. we go. But I, I was just curious because springtime is different for every part of the country. It's different for it people in the next county. And that's one of the fascinating things about the American horse scene is because mm-hmm. our country is so large geographically and everything is so diverse, different kinds of different soils, different rainfall amounts, different... The grasses. I mean, my... Even I, different, you're right. Even different species of grass. To this day, yeah. some horses in the in the fall, they'll come down here and there's there's lovely green grass growing. But the species of grass it is when the weather gets cooler must taste just <laughs> awful because they won't eat it. That's funny. It looks beautiful, <laughs> but they won't eat it. <laughs> that's like the diet pasture we need we need like the diet pasture of like it's green and beautiful yeah. but the horses stand out there and they're like mm, i don't know yeah. <laughs> that's it. you know what it is bahia grass is the mascarpone of grasses huh. they look beautiful but no you don't want to eat that no that's funny <laughs> that's funny oh my goodness well we're gonna get to our first guest which is going to be cindy butler and she's going to talk about uh, some western dressage topics from the judge's point of view i'm going to do that right after we hear from our title sponsor kentucky performance products vitamin e is a powerful antioxidant that supports healthy muscle and nerve function by limiting cellular damage green grass is the best source of vitamin e for horses but most horses don't spend enough time grazing to meet their needs hay grain and winter pasture provide little to no natural vitamin e to ensure your horse's vitamin e requirements are met choose elevate elevate contains a readily available source of natural vitamin e elevate is cost effective and easy to feed to learn more about elevate visit the kentucky performance products website at kppusa.com Today I have Cindy Butler with me, and she is the president of the WDAA, the Western Dressage Association, and she is a large R judge and actually holds 12 different association judging cards. So I'm, I'm very excited to have Cindy on today to ask a few, answer a few questions for me regarding rhythm versus tempo, but first... Could you, Cindy, tell me what the difference is between a large R versus a small R judge? Hi, Stacey. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. In Western Dressage, we don't license judges. USES licenses Western Dressage judges. Mm. We have large R's who are senior judges who can judge everything. And then the road to become a large R is a small R. So it's more like a junior judge that judges intro to level one. Once you are a small R judge, then you can work your way up to become a large R judge. So it's a way to be promoted. Okay. So the, so the judging actually goes through the USEF system. It does. Oh, that is awesome to know. And I knew there was an association there, but I wasn't, I'm, I'm still not quite clear on how all of it ties together, but that's really cool. That also explains, I know when I was showing last year, there was one show where they offered uh, something called test of choice and I kind of read the rules about test of choice and I was like, Oh good. I'll sign up for a third level test because I was practicing for the world show and the show organizer actually called me and they said, so you can technically show in that, but you won't be able to get points because the judge isn't. And I don't remember how he phrased it. 
is that because of like being a small R versus a large R? Yeah, if it's a small R judge, then they can only judge through level one for points. So that's probably why that happens. Okay, so I would have been able to show and she would have judged me, but it just wouldn't have counted for points. It kind of would have been practice right. for both of us. Yeah, a schooling show. Yeah, which, yeah, pretty much is what it was. So good to know. But what I want to ask you about today, the topic of discussion in this podcast is rhythm versus tempo. Because I don't know if you know this, but I just recently went and audited a, a clinic and at that clinic, the judge turned to me and she, this was the pop question. She was like, do you know the difference between rhythm versus tempo? I think I started sweating. <laughs> I got it right. But that's not because it was natural for me to say the answer prior to entering Western dressage. So could you tell everyone the difference between rhythm versus tempo? Sure. Um, first, though, what kind of clinic was it? It was actually Dolly was teaching a freestyle clinic. Okay, good. So yeah. um, I think this is a really good question because um, when, I, you know, as a Western judge from the breed associations, I had some questions when I first started too. And I think that the biggest question is that um, Western judges are told that the regular repeated pattern of the footfalls or the order of the footfalls is cadence, but mm. that's not the dressage definition. So rhythm is the regular repeated pattern of the footfalls. And in dressage, cadence is the expression of the step. So it's the energy that's used to motivate the step and balance and self-carriage or like the animation within the stride. Tempo wow. is what you tap your toe to the music. So it's the rate of the repetition of the stride, like on a metronome. Yes. So you can vary the tempo, but it shouldn't change the rhythm. Yeah. So that is actually, that's, that's very helpful because I think that's one of the reasons why I kept getting tangled up in the beginning is because I, now I don't actually come from a musical background either. So my husband who does kind of more naturally figured out the, the tempo part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he kind of, he, he, he kind of jumped because of course I tried to trick him with the question <laughs> just to see, yeah. but he got it. And so rhythm, so rhythm just to clarify would be like, so if the horse is trotting, that would be a two-beat gait. But yeah. then the tempo would be how fast or slow that would be happening. Mm -hmm. So think about, you know, jogging to a, a, a fast music or a slow music. Um, you know, an extended jog or a collected jog. It's still going to be the same order of football, but the tempo will change. Got it. And the so you said the, yeah. the speed of the repetition changes. Okay. And, and that is interesting that you noticed the difference when you came from the Western world that they were calling it cadence. And yeah, what were they using to denote the speed? Tempo still, okay. but cadence, cadence was rhythm. Okay. And you know, when I first came to the first Western Dressage Judges Clinic and people talked about rhythm and I was like, hey, no, that's cadence. And they were like, no, it's not. And I, you know, I looked up the definition 
So if you look up the definition, like in National Sample Bit Association, you know what we call a rhythm in Western dressage is called cadence there. So that's fine, and um, you know everybody can can look at the rules for whatever organization they're showing with. And um, I think it's good to note though that sometimes uh, terms are have different names and different associations, and that's okay. Absolutely. I'm with you. And that's one of the reasons why I went to the judges school last year, even though I had no intention of becoming a Western dressage judge, I went to the judging school just to understand the book because my whole show season was really revolving around going to a lot of dressage and Western dressage. And I was trying to understand it more just by basically a deep dive into the, into the rule book. And I so, think that was a real smart thing for you to do I, I, the judges seminar isn't really just for judges it's for exhibitors too and you know i i kind of think about it like playing chess who, who can play chess and win if they don't know the rules of the game i yeah. think going to the judges seminar teaches exhibitors what the judges are looking for and it helps you to become a better exhibitor so i would encourage everybody um, who's interested in competing in western dressage to to go at least once. Oh, exactly. I, I would totally second that. So another question I have is, so when you're judging and you're out there, if you're watching like a, like an intro level test and you see problems in rhythm or tempo, can you describe what type of problems you would see happening as a judge that you could either fall into the category of a rhythm problem or a tempo problem or how you view them. Yeah. Um, you know, in rhythm, you're looking for the purity of the gait. So an irregular rhythm could be something really serious like lameness, or it could be a few off steps. So if your horse steps on a rock or um, what I see a lot of gated horses is sometimes in the corners, they'll get a little bit pacey mm. and they'll be irregular in the corner, but then more regular once they get to a diagonal or down the track. Mm -hmm. No, I'll let you expand on that. But I was also going to ask, like, does this cross over into that problem you hear about people with the walk and people a lot of times, like even in traditional shows, the walk is a really big deal because a lot of times it, it seems like that's one of the gates that gets impure quickly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So tempo, sometimes what I, what I, comment on a lot it seems like is in the extended gates especially when you see the extended jog across the diagonal i'll see the tempo quicken so remember that when you when you extend a gate then the tempo shouldn't change the strides should get longer but the tempo should stay the same and that's really hard to do but if you can do that well then your scores will way go up Yes. I I have a confession. I When I first was studying this, I went on YouTube and I was like, okay, my brain is really stretching to try to understand that you could lengthen but not quicken. And so it is really kind of interesting to act like a metronome by talking out loud, by just counting like one, two, one, two, or I actually have a metronome app on my phone. And to watch some of the really high-level dressage horses and see how, when they lengthen, they really can keep a very similar tempo. Not 
it's not twice as quick, which is kind of what I was, for some reason in my head, it quickened as well as lengthened. But that's clearly not the case if you go on YouTube and and pull up. I'm I'm a huge fan of Charlotte and Vallegro, so they tend uh-huh. to be my gold standard of like of like if when I want to go see how something works, that tends to be where I go. And sure enough, like you just said, you see the lengthening and you go, Wow, that is that really does keep that same very, very similar tempo. And that still amazes me. Yeah, and it, and the metronome idea is fantastic. And if you don't have a metronome, then what I used to have my students do is just hum a song or sing a song while they're riding, and it it really helps. Yeah, that that makes well that makes sense because that's why I think a lot of times when people like riding to music, I think they are not quite as aware that that automatically helps them set that kind of a feeling in their body. Now. When you judge, let's say, intro-level horses versus fourth-level horses, do you see a difference in the issues that they have with rhythm and tempo, or does it stay pretty much the same? In the intro-levels, then, they don't get asked to collect and extend. So the more upper-level horses have to do it, and they have to do it in a shorter amount of space. Mm-hmm. So their challenge is greater. Mm-hmm. The so, so you see it more there. but you know, the, the other thing that I would bring up about tempo, and, and this isn't really related so much to the level as to the types of horses, but with the gated horses, they don't have a moment of suspension because they're they're using a four-beat gate for the saddle gate, which would be what they would do instead of a jog. So their tempo and their rhythm should be looked at, you know, keeping in mind that they're a gated horse. So they're, they won't have the um, steady tempo when they extend like a non-gated horse would. It can, mm. Their tempo can increase a little, and that's still good. Okay. So with the, do, do the gated horses show with the non-gated horses, or do they show separately in separate classes? They have separate classes. But there's a rule that says that if it's a smaller show and they want to combine the classes, the show manager can do that. Okay. And yeah, that would, I've, I've seen it. I think the, well, the only place I really saw it was actually at the world show where they had the separate classes and then where I was showing at the smaller schooling shows around me, they, 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 there weren't any gated horses there. So I didn't see any at all. So that, that was interesting to watch out there, but I would imagine that would be a challenge to judge. So I'm sure there's an entire education on, on doing that. But is there anything else you'd like to add to the thought of rhythm versus tempo? No, I think that people are being better and better. I'm really impressed with the horses that I see. You know, I see a lot better movers. I see a lot more attention um, to keeping the tempo steady the rhythm is, you know, we see some irregularity, you know, of course we, we can't have lame horses in Western dressage. And so, you know, there's, those will be disqualified, but you know, the thing that I like about Western dressage is you can, you can take a few bad steps, but it doesn't mess up your whole day. Mm-hmm. So if you have, you know, one little issue with rhythm or tempo or anything else, 
that's just one maneuver and you can still recover it and make the best of the rest. So there's always something good that you can get out of your test, even if you have a little mistake. Oh, yes. I've done a lot of those. <laughs> well, <laughs> it seems to be the best way for me to learn the rule book is after I commit those things, they seem to be burned into my memory. So, <laughs> but well, thank you so much for joining me, Cindy. If someone wants to find you online, where and how would they find you? They can, they can either call um, Western Dressage Association of America or they can go info at dressageassociation.com or .net, either one, and we'll get, them, get back with them through that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Good to, good to talk. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. For today's trainer tip, I have a very special guest with me, Lynn Palm, who is a multiple Western Dressage World and Reserve Champion. She's an AQHA Professional Horsewoman of the Year. She's a large R judge for Western Dressage. And she quite literally wrote the book on this discipline. And I would love to ask you a thousand questions because, Lynn, you've been in this from the very beginning and you've been so involved. So I'm going to have to practice self-control during this interview and then have you on again in the future. But the very first thing I'd love to start with is I was there at the Western Dressage World Show last year when you introduced the idea that you had started a Lin Palm Western Dressage Fund. And could you tell me a little bit, can you tell all of us a little bit more about that? Because I'm fascinated with your involvement of this sport and thank you for everything you've done. Well, it's, it's a real honor and a real pleasure. You know, you, once you've been into fabulous career, especially with our magical horses, you get to a point in your life where you just need to give back. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Growing up in the dressage saddle and thank goodness for the 4-H in America, horses has given me a great life and I just want to give back to the industry. And the Western dressage is so new and it's so well needed and it's so sought after for people that are, are interested in it. It's just growing like leaps and bounds. And what, what, what I love about it is the fact that um, it's, it's a fund that can give back to people that want to do clinics, if they want to do camps or symposiums, and it will help fund those programs for education. And that's how you can grow a sport is through education. But I'm going to do another second phase to it. It's not really been announced, but I can give you my idea that I want to do something through the 4-H and those gifted kids that need help to take directions that can take them to the top in a sport. And it's kind of how I lived it. So there'll be another phase. I really want to do something to heart for kids. So that's where we're at. Wow, that is impressive. Now, for people who haven't heard about it, can you give us a, a quick overview of how the dressage fund western dressage fund works right it's through the dressage foundation and you can find that i believe it's dressagefoundation.org and there's 30 years of their foundation and within that foundation there's other many other types of grants that people can apply for 
there's a committee that approves and approves it or not and how much that funds that they will do. And I just went to a wonderful luncheon in Wellington that they had and some of the recipients gave their stories. And it's just beautiful to hear how much that they've been able to accomplish for their young careers as professionals or young writers that have allowed them to really expand and advance and spread their wings because they're very dedicated to the horses in the industry. And that's what I'm looking for. Those kind of young people is why I'm thinking 4-H because gosh, when I got a horse, my parents didn't know anything. They got me a pony because they wanted to shut me up and <laughs> I didn't, we didn't know anything. We, the pony was tied out on the rope and we thought it would live forever on grass. And there we go. <laughs> That's great. So I need to play really well and it helped me get started. So there you go. Yeah. You know, I, I know I've, I've talked to a few people who, because Western dressage is still, for example, I'm in Ohio and we don't have an active Western dressage group right now. So something like your fund is really important because when you've got, you know, one or two people who are trying to launch something new, like a Western dressage group in a state, and I know this is more than just Ohio, you know, a grant of $2,000 to bring in a clinician and host an event is a huge game changer. So I'm absolutely fascinated to see what you do with your 4-H version of it because you can just hear it. Yeah, this will be exciting. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, we should do something together up in your state one of these days. I know. I know. Right after we get past this virus thing, which seems to be kind of knocking all of us yep. for a loop, I, I, I'm i in. I love that idea. Now, yeah. Well, we're staying positive and we're warm and we got lots of space and we're just doing new things and there you go. So exactly. horses are, are, are going to be a really great attachment for people to stay positive during this uh, crisis period. So for sure. um, that's what we keep our energy up and keep uh, um, supporting everybody. For sure. They're, they're my yep. sanity. When I yep. go out to the barn, I can actually drop back into a more peaceful place when I'm out there with them. And yeah, they're definitely going to serve for my sanity and many, many other people for an escape Absolutely. of a place to let down. Yep. But as I said at the beginning, I could totally talk to you for hours. But the question I have for you for today's trainer tip, and let yes. me set this up because, again, you've, you've, you can come at this from all these different angles. So what I would like to specifically ask you is from a training perspective, let's say that you have, you can even picture one or two different riders that come to ride with you. But my question and the focus of today's podcast is on rhythm and tempo. And I interviewed Cindy Butler on what the, from the judge's point of view, what rhythm and tempo are from the judge's point of view. But I would love to hear your take from the trainer's point of view for, for example, maybe mistakes you see people making that disturb the rhythm and or like how you see tempo falling into this. I'm trying to leave it fairly open because I have no idea what direction you're going to go with this. (laughs) Well, I'm going to try to make it simple and make it short, but simplicity is the best. And for me, rhythm and tempo is going to be, I'm going to be working with riders with their horses, or it may be myself and training a horse that first with riders that they have to have a good balance. They have to have a good position. They have to be able to establish it through their seat. They have to have a clear understanding of how the aids work, seat, legs, hands. 
mm-hmm. because to teach rhythm and, and tempo, it takes a rider that for me is in there. It can be after, of course, the intro basic and your first levels. These, the, that, this is what's going to teach these riders in those levels. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have a good position, there's no way you're going to understand rhythm and tempo. You understand what I'm saying there? Yes. Yeah, you have so- to have bound fundamentals within your own self as a rider. And, and, and when that keeps advancing, then the rhythm, of course, is the walk, trot, and canter, or walk, jog, and lope. It's a four-beat walk, a two-beat jog, and a three-beat lope. Well, to understand the rhythm, they have to have the ability to be able to feel the horse's gait. Mm-hmm. So that, again, is a rider that's in a good balance. They, they understand controlling their figures, their transitions, and they can feel that the horse is not simply four-beating or three-beating. So in order to do, for a rider to be able to feel the tempo or to regulate the tempo, first of all, the horse has got to be in front of the rider's legs. You can't have a lazy horse. Mm-hmm. You can't have a horse that's lazy behind the leg, nor a horse that's really tight and tense and quick. Mm-hmm. That That's going to be, that those are, the horse has to be obedient to that. They have to understand straightness of the horse. And they have to understand what our third fundamental is that we teach our riders is that they have to understand when the horse is straight and aligned, he's balanced. When he's balanced, there's where you can learn to regulate the horse's tempo. Okay. So, and, and so it, it, it comes in those stages because you can't have a consistent tempo without a, a clear rhythm. So a rider that doesn't understand or can feel the rhythm of the walk, the trot's the easy one, the canter, those are the two would be most challenging. Mm-hmm. They, can't, they can't regulate rhythm. They're not advanced enough in their own skills. Yeah. So that's, that's where, where I, I feel that it, it comes in the stages as you progress in the levels of the dressage. Let me mention one other thing also that's important, that tempo comes naturally when a rider can control the horse's balance. Mm. Again, that's a rider that understands riding from back to front. Because when you ride back to front and you can control your horse's straightness and his outline, or some people use the word frame, I like outline, it's a little more, um, it's not so rigid, Mm -hmm. then the horse is balanced. Then you can control the tempo in those corners, turning down center line, 10-meter circles, 15-meter circles, three beat at the lope on 20-meter circles, and a straight line. It all comes. It all starts coming together when you your horse and rider or the horse of course is developed strong enough to carry himself but the rider and them are doing the accuracy of figures and especially I'll say last Stacy transitions mm-hmm. transitions 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 are going to teach the horse and rider the clear rhythm understanding and to regulate the tempo Okay. okay. Again, that's a rider that understands the seat, legs, hands. The horse is in front of the leg, and back to answering your question as far as what is some good exercises, transitions, transitions, transitions. 
Okay. Jog, lace and jog, jog. Walk, halt, walk. I mean, yes, trot, halt, trot. Trot, canter, trot. You know, the more you do transitions and the gates between, there's where you're going to teach both. Now, you mentioned position problems. What are some common rider position problems that you see in the beginning that people are, need to work on? Well, first, anything that where the arms aren't dependent. You know, there's a reason I love in Western dressage and in classical dressage, because I grew up in the dressage saddle, and I forgot to mention, I ride the same today that I did when I started my career 50 years ago in a Western saddle. Awesome. Okay? So, so the most common is that, uh, and, and our collective scores, riders' position is judged. Why is it judged? Because you have to have correct position. And it's endless. We work on it. And your position advances as your skills and understanding advances. But the hands have to be independent. The body has to be independent. When your position is aligned and your balance is through the seat, you can tell your mind and your head where to look and go. You can tell your right arm what to do, your left arm what to do, your right leg, your left leg. You, You can be independent in your position because you're balanced. Mm-hmm. When you're not balanced, other parts of your body have to get rigid to hold your balance. Then right. you cannot be functional. So then when you have the second collective mark, the effective rider use of aids, or the use of aids for the effective rider, that's where those two are absolutely essential to work together. Okay, so, so what, I hear, what I hear you saying is that they're kind of all tied together. So let's just say that I come to ride with you and I'm a reigning horse rider. So I have that slouch, you know, that popular like Harley Davidson, like slouch. So if I, if I come in, (laughs) so if I come in and I've got that slouch, which naturally puts my legs in front a little bit more, Mm -hmm. where would you have me focus to start improving? Because now I've got this slouch. So my legs are in front and then my arms are kind of disassociated with my body because my body's got that slouch. So in a way I'm kind of like, I've got like six different problems at minimum going on because of their What's the one area? Do you have one area you tend to get the rider to focus on first of their body? Yes, of course, the seat. The seat. That you can establish weight in the seat. Okay. That you establish your balance and the weight sitting down in the saddle so you don't bounce, number one. Number two is that when you're you're sitting down deep in the saddle, you've always, always heard the term simple term. A good rider has a deep seat. Mm-hmm. That's a rider that can put weight in the seat. Mm-hmm. Well, when you put weight in the seat, you are aligning your, your shoulders to your hips. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to work with you to keep your shoulders back. It's a funny feeling. But to get you <laughs> good to point. I may, I may have you sit in a saddle or I may have you go in different positions. Close your eyes so you can feel what you're trying to, to see what you're trying to feel to get a different position. Yeah. At the same time, I would also take your stirrups away and take your stirrups <laughs> away and let learn to hang your leg down on the horse and wrap them around the horse's barrel. Yes. That position is essential to, to, to in the future of advancing up the, um, uh, uh, the levels in the Western dressage is that position is essential to teach correct collection. 
That is so funny that you say that because when I, I'm much newer to the dressage world in general and I started with traditional dressage and then went to Western. But what happened when I started taking my traditional lessons and they were after me, after me, after me, because my body in the Western saddle, thankfully they were letting me take some of my lessons in the Western saddle before I even bought my dressage saddle. They kept being after me, after me, after me. And it was during a lesson when one of them had me drop my stirrups and he was like right there. And I said, oh, you want my bareback seat, which I already had the awareness that I had like Western saddle reining seat. And then if I switched and rode bareback out on a trail ride or playing around, I knew that I had two different seats because especially when I did the bareback bridalist with Roxy, when I was working on that, that was the big thing was like, how the world, how do I bring these two worlds together? But as soon as I had that awareness that it was like, wait a minute, dressage is my bareback seat. Okay. That did not make it instantly easy. (laughs) That did not make my body cooperate instantly, but at least I was like, oh, so as soon as you just said, drop the stirrups, I started laughing because I thought, She's on to this. <laughs> she knows how this works. <laughs> awesome. You know, the, the, the bottom line and on top of the horse, bottom line, the small differences that can be for position for different disciplines, the bottom line is that you have to be balanced. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. I had one polo lesson. I had a <laughs> in Southern California, and I said, oh, I'd love to come out there. I said, but you got to line up a polo lesson. I can't believe how I was in different positions, but the bottom line is that my weight had to be centered in the middle of the horse in order for me to have the ability to use my body to and with the mallet to hit the ball. Wow. And I'm, I'm diagonal on top of the horse. I'm in different positions. <laughs> but, you know, we always teach our riders to not only in Western to sit the trot, but also posting trot. Now, that's barely an English position or traditionally grew up to be, but you can. We teach also our riders with a a leg position, as you're saying, that's too far forward to learn to do a jump position, or we call it a two-point or half-seat position. Mm -hmm. You know, the more positions you learn on a horse, I learned a different position when I rode a cutting horse. Mm -hmm. If you don't have your legs in front of you and you pushing on the horn and pushing yourself to the back Mm -hmm. of the saddle, you bet you're going to fall over the front of the horse. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing that up. It's all for balance. Yes, it's all for balance. Yes, so yes. That's, that's objective. And when your horse challenges you, this is this is something I want everybody to hear, Stacy. My first question to me as a rider or a trainer is, Lynn, how was your position? Mm-hmm. Because if my position was a little off balance, it most likely could have affected my horse's reaction and or how I cued my horse to yeah. his reaction. Yeah. That, and so I always go back to the simple, simple fundamentals of the sport. Yeah. I got to have balance to cue him right. Yep. I got to have balance to have the right timing. I got to have balance for, for me to be able to feel what my horse's response was. Yes. Was it too much? Was it not at all? There's, there's one example. Yep. Did he go to the left or did he go to the right? There's another example. Mm -hmm. So it, it comes, I just keep it simple, but what back to your, your question on rhythm and tempo, it's the fun part of riding. Mm -hmm. When you get to these stages, 
you really have what we all want. And that's the bottom line of dressage. It is the rider uh, putting the horse in balance, the rider and horse being in balance. And when that is achieved, you have the true partnership, but the horse is going to be doing it willingly. Mm-hmm. That's what tells you you're doing it correct. Yeah. Willingly, smooth, relaxed. Mm-hmm. All those things we want our horses to do because then they do it easily. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of the dressage. That's where I was able to take to growing up in the dressage saddles for 30 plus years and doing the classical or traditional dressage. And like I said, in all my years at AQHA and doing the all around and riding trail, Western riding, Western pleasure, uh, reining, um, cow horse. Um, all of that. I still ride the same today in my Western saddle as I do in Western dressage at all those multiple events. And the ranch riding is the, now we got to get those two events married together. Yes. Because they're, they're sitting in a correct position that we want <laughs> yeah. for, for the dressage, or I shouldn't say that only position, but that's the correct position the ranch riders are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm going to have to have you back on when people, if people want to um, learn more about you, where is the best place for them to look for you online? Oh, limpalm.com. There you awesome. go. Limpalm.com. And it's L-Y-N-N-P-A-L-M, like the tree. Perfect. And we will put links. We'll put links to that in the show notes and, and they'll show up when we post it. So Thank you so much for joining me today, Lynn, and stay safe. All right, Stacey. You stay healthy, and and to you and everyone out there, keep with your horses. They don't have the virus and your (laughs) dogs, and keep your distance. And, and, you know, for us, instead of traveling so much, I'm just so excited to go out and ride now and work with the horses because I have more time. Yes. So there you go. That's true. Well, thank thank you again, and go enjoy those horses. We will. All right, Stacey. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Well, Total Saddle Fit has the cinch that you've been looking for for your Western dressage saddle. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. The center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are cut back to meet the billets two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, which reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward into the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled billets, it simply moves the billets back to keep the saddle further away from the shoulders. The secondary benefit to this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com. a great show my mind is is a little bit it's a little bit gelatin right now because it's been overworked (laughs) (laughs) but but great stuff people want to find out what you're up to see where your next clinic is stalk you appropriately on social media where can they do that well the easiest way to find me is on stacywestfall.com 
I do have a Facebook page, and I have a Western Dressage closed group that has some really good information in there. So that would be a great place to visit me too. So on Facebook, they just look up Stacy Westfall? They do, but there are a number of them. So you're going to look for the one with like 400,000 plus people on a public page. So there you yeah. go. It used to be you could just look for the little blue check mark, but Facebook in their wisdom decided to get rid of the blue check marks. Thank you very yeah. much. Yep. <laughs> and where can people find the Dressage Radio Show? You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook or just search for Dressage Radio Show. <laughs> Thank you very much to our sponsors. That's Kentucky Performance Products, Products and Total Saddle Fit. And don't forget to check out all of the other shows on the Horse Radio Network. You can go to horseradionetwork.com. We also have a Facebook page for horseradionetwork.com, and it would be horseradionetwork.com. And until next month, Stacy, have fun riding your ponies. That's right. Stay safe. Stay safe.